Welcome to the Progress Your Health podcast with your hosts, Dr. Robert Mackey and Dr. Valerie Davidson, a husband and wife team who specialize in bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and functional medicine. They're here to help you lose weight, balance hormones, and age gracefully. It's their mission to motivate, educate, and empower you to take your health to the next level. And now your hosts, hormone experts, Dr. Mackey and Dr. Davidson. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Progress Your Health podcast. I'm Dr. Valerie Davidson, and I'm here joined with my co-host, Dr. Mackey. Good morning. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks. Yeah, uh, we're uh, experiencing a little bit of a, almost a torrential downpour this morning. Looking out the window, it's unfortunately raining a little bit too hard. But it's not that cold. So June in, June in Washington, Western Washington, what do you expect? Yeah, yeah we'll, <laughs> we'll, and we'll take it. Uh, hopefully the sun will come out later this afternoon. Uh, so, uh, on this episode, I think that we will, uh, we're going to answer a question, but it's not an, an actual specific question. We wrote a, actually you wrote a blog post a, a while ago. Why is perimenopause so horrible? So we're just kind of playing off that a little bit. Uh, this one is, uh, that was a blog. This is a, a going to be a podcast, obviously. Um, why is perimenopause so awful? You know, same idea, you know, just a little bit of a different, um, you know, um, title. Uh, and, uh, you know, this, uh, uh, as of the last, what, few years, I think the perimenopausal demographic, women in their late 30s to, you know, early 50s, um, is probably the majority of the people that we see on a regular basis. And I think, you know, with perimenopause, it's a little bit of a underrepresented, um, I guess, demographic, because it is... You know, it's not menopause, but it's not your, you know, typical PMS. It's somewhere right in between. So a lot of times women sort of get blown off and perimenopause is exactly what it sounds like, you know, before menopause. And it can happen, you know, as late as your, you know, your late 30s. And it can last even, you know, through your early 50s, depending on how, you know, how a female's ovaries are, you know, performing and when they decide to retire or work part-time or work full-time. Because and, their, and their stress level. And their stress level, exactly. But I always kind of, you know, I, I don't want to make it so negative, you know, why is, perimen- or why is perimenopause so awful or so horrible? It's not a negative thing, but a lot of women will say that to me, like, this is really awful. What do I do? I can't stand it. Nobody else can stand to be around me. But it, you know, it really has to do with those hormone imbalances. So working on those hormones, um, you know, I, is completely different in perimenopause than it is with menopause. Yeah, right. Yeah. And conventionally in the, you know, the medical community, uh, no one's really equipped or prepared to deal with it. Uh, giving a woman in her late forties birth control to deal with her, you know, her menstrual symptoms. Uh, you know, there's a lot better options than that. We don't really agree with that really much at all. Cause usually by the time a woman's in her late forties, she's not, she's not ovulating anymore right? So there's no real risk of pregnancy. Uh, her hormones are declining anyways, giving her birth control in some ways is kind of compounding on that problem. Uh, and you know, there's some safety issues there too, you know, by giving a you know, woman that's 48 and giving her birth control. Uh, you know, the IUD, that's obviously a really popular, uh, you know, remedy for some of the bleeding things that happen. Uh, and like I said, you know, sometimes those are, you know, those are decisions that are made quite frequently, but we feel that there's there's better options for women out there that are uh, 
struggling with some of the, you know, some of these real common symptoms we're going to talk about today. Because it really isn't one size fits all. Like here, take this pill and you're going to be all better, you know, all better. Um, it's certainly not like that. And then, you know, everybody's for females and men too, you know, our hormones are changing from when we're 12 to 25 to 35 to 45. But one distinction between perimenopause and menopause is in menopause, the ovaries are done functioning. You know, they are not producing any estrogen or progesterone, rightly so. They've retired, they're done. Where in perimenopause, a lot of women, if you still have your uterus, you're still having a period. You know, you're still cycling to some extent, making that estrogen and progesterone, but you're not making it in the same way that you had been perhaps five, seven, 10 years before. So that time before menopause, people just sort of get kind of, you know, push to the wayside or just deal with it. You're getting older or, or like you, Dr. Mackey had mentioned, you know, offering birth control pills. Sure. If you're 19 and you really need to prevent birth, then that's a great option. But if you're 49, 47, 46, 44, that's not necessarily a great option to take birth control pills. Like Dr. Mackey mentioned, an IUD could help with some of the symptoms, but not all of the symptoms. And then of course, you know, a lot of women we see, they get offered antidepressants, they get offered counseling, they get offered therapy, they get offered and you know um, anti-anxiety medications or offered nothing and then sort of you know pushed on their way. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I mean that's why we're talking about this because it is kind of a an underserved community. Uh, now this is also where maybe it doesn't get as much attention in the medical community is because it's not really a disease. Uh, there's not an insurance billing code for it. You know, uh, there is sort of for menopause, there is definitely for PMS, um, but this, you know, this uh, uh, period of time for a woman could any be anywhere from a few years, let's say five years to almost 15 years for some women. You know, an easy good decade from 40 to 50 or 38 to 48, uh, you know, uh, we see women all the time that are, you know, um, in those age ranges that are dealing with these symptoms for a very long time. Uh, and usually that's when they have children, they are working full time, they're busy. In some ways, that's part of the problem is that they're so busy, they have so much on their plate, they're doing so many different things that that's what creates the, uh, you know, this kind of, in some ways, this really, uh, you know, uh, horrible, uh, this awful transition uh, because their bodies just don't cooperate anymore. Uh, you know, on paper, you know, I know we have this conversation with, you know, with patients all the time, their lives on paper are really good. They have a you know, great family, you know, they live in a great neighborhood, kids are doing really well, they got good jobs, money's no problem, but yet they're just not quite either fulfilled or happy or they're overwhelmed or stressed. Uh, and it kind of distract it detracts from, you know, how good life could actually be. And in some ways, I, I kind of understand what you're saying there. You know, that stress level is going to make everything worse. And you think about when the estrogen and progesterone are imbalanced, they're not going to be able to buffer those extra stress hormones. So things seem really exacerbated. But one thing you had mentioned is, hey, you know, hey, I'm in my 40s. So that's why, you know, I'm 47 as of right now. You're in the throes of perimenopause. Well, you've known that for several years. Do do I ever know that? (laughs) Oh, you better stop it. (laughs) But you know, like you were saying, when we're in our forties, life is good. The kids are a little bit older. If you have kids, you might be more established in your career. You might be more developed and um, settled in your environment and your home and where you live. That life is actually pretty good where I have women that tell me in their, you know, in their forties, Hey, life is pretty good. Why am I so tired? Why do I have all these symptoms? Why don't I feel well when I, I was in, you know, when I was 27 years old, I had two kids divorced, working three jobs. And I, juggle it all just fine. 
why can't I juggle it now when my kids are older and they have more autonomy that, you know, I should be feeling better. And it really isn't about, you know, sure, we all do what we need to get done because that's just what happens. But, you know, when I, I tell these women, when they tell me that, that it, you know, it isn't you, it's really just those hormones that if we can balance those hormones, it's a little bit like the chicken and the egg. We balance those hormones naturally, effectively, safely, and then you feel better, then things kind of look better. And then when they look better, you treat them a little bit differently, see it a little bit differently. And then, you know, you get the ball rolling. Yeah. Right. I do think that the, the amount of stress that people have, that women have particularly, they spread themselves too thin all the time. Uh, they got to go here and they got to go there. I got to do this and they got to do that. They, you know, they just take on too much stuff, which I think then creates a little bit more of a perpetuating kind of vicious cycle. Um, but you're right. Their bodies are, are in a, tr- a major transition when they go from menstruating years to that perimenopausal window to post menstruating years that, uh, you know, as you say, their hormones are declining. The hormones, the sex hormones tend to be kind of this buffer to the stressors of everyday living. Uh, so like you said, when you're 25, you can handle anything. Uh, most 25-year-olds really don't have that much stress necessarily. Maybe they do nowadays. It's, you know, we live in some crazy times right now. Uh, you know, but proportionally, people usually have, you know, more stress in their 40s and 50s because of they have, you know, they just, they just acquire more responsibility. Uh, and, uh, you know, we hear it all the time. They're just not able to handle it necessarily as easily as, the, as they did, uh, you know, even a few years ago. Or like you said, they have less stress. Things are a little more settled, but they feel... 10 times worse than they did before when stuff was really crazy. Now they can't even handle a little bit. They just kind of go off the edge because they have no more reserves in the tank. So you kind of see both, you know, kind of both scenarios. Yeah. Like you said, um, like their stress tolerance has really minimized or that threshold has really narrowed, which is really common that you see, especially in women. Men are a different story because, you know, men's hormones, their testosterone, their sex hormones or adrenal hormones, they are changing over time. And we'll do a, a little bit of a podcast, a little bit of, you know, on menopause or some, you know, whatnot on how that works. But for us ladies, when we're in our forties, things, you know, things, that threshold for stress really does narrow. And there's not only that, but there's those other symptoms that are coming along with perimenopause. Like women will tell me, which is very true. Once they hit perimenopause, it's like they put on a 15, 10 to 15 pounds overnight. Like, where did it go? I eat better than my, you know, my kids and, you know, kids in their twenties, you know, when you're 25, you can have milkshakes and French fries and throw it down with a bunch of burgers and wake up the next day just fine. When you're in your forties, you have some chips and salsa and maybe a glass of wine and you're up five pounds the next day. Right, right, right. Yeah. That's probably, I mean, we'll go through a little list of the symptoms, but probably number one is that unexplained weight gain. Their lives haven't really changed probably very much in the last five to 10 years. Their lifestyles are very similar, whether they're doing activity or diet or any of that, but yet they're uh, their weight just continues to go up. And usually it's always around the midsection. And women proportionally do not usually put weight around the midsection. Men have, you know, the, the proverbial beer belly. Women usually put weight around the hips and thighs. Uh, that weight around the midsection, the, you know, the muffin top, um, that's, uh, you know, in some ways cortisol redistributed weight gain. It's not really supposed to be there, uh, you know, from a gender specific uh, standpoint. But that's probably number one. What would you say are the next like three to five symptoms that you hear the most? Definitely uh, sleep, trouble sleeping at night, not so much falling asleep, but staying asleep. You know, a lot of women, hey, they'll say, I put my head down, I'm out in, you know, less than a minute, but come, you know, anywhere between three to four hours later, I'm up 
and they'll say you're usually up for an hour to two hours, or they might even just sort of wake up periodically, you know, five plus times a night throughout, you know, for no reason. It's not like there's anything noisy out there. They're just waking up throughout the night, which of course, then come morning time, you know, that's not going to be very refreshing sleep that that's not going to be great for daytime energy. Yeah, right. So we've talked about uh, on another uh, podcast and even some uh, blog posts, we talked about the different types of adrenals, uh, adrenal fatigue and how they kind of, or, or adrenal dysfunction. We call it adrenal fatigue, but adrenal dysfunction, how it manifests. Uh, and what you just described, the person that, you know, can fall asleep okay, but can't stay asleep is your, is your as you described it, is your ghost. Yeah, they fall fall asleep, they wake up periodically through the night, or unfortunately, which is no fun for like an hour, an hour and a half in the middle of the night. And that really is like we had talked about on that last podcast is the bouncing up of cortisol at night. So you had mentioned cortisol earlier that cortisol is secreted from the adrenal glands in a diurnal fashion. It comes up very high in the morning. So you're bright eyed, bushy tailed, sharp and ready to go. And then it comes down at night so that you can fall asleep and stay asleep for the night. What you end up seeing, especially in perimenopause, and this is because of the drop in progesterone. So in menopause, you have a drop in both estrogen and progesterone. But in perimenopause, you mainly have more of a drop in progesterone. That drop in progesterone creates cortisol coming up at night. So that's why they're waking up in the middle of the night. And you, and if you are a perimenopausal female and you're you know in you know in your forties or even late thirties, and you're a perimenopausal female and you find that you're not sleeping at night. Usually they can even trace it back to saying it's like a week to two weeks before my period, if you have a uterus, that I'm not sleeping well at night because that typically seems to be where more of the issues lie. It's not PMS, it's perimenopause. Right, yeah. And so really a way to define perimenopause, uh, at least the way that you and I to talk about it or define it is really when a woman stops ovulating, which is not exactly clear on when that is. Some women can tell when they ovulate, some women can't. Um, But usually when a woman stops ovulating, because when a woman does release an egg, there's a part of the ovary called the corpus luteum. Uh, I don't know what the Latin is for that, but it's yellow body or something like that. Yeah, yellow moon. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yellow body. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) and that, that, um, the remnant of where that egg is released from the o- ovary is what secretes progesterone. So when a woman stops ovulating, which is you know kind of in some ways genetically determined for women, uh, I think stress level can kind of speed that process up. But usually that's going to happen. You know, mom and grandma, great grandma, they're going to have a similar. You know, they all go into menopause roughly about the same time. When they stop ovulating, that progesterone production basically disappears, and now the ovaries are supposed to pick up the slack. As we talked about from a stress perspective, most women's ovaries cannot pick up the slack. So there's this huge gap. They have plenty of estrogen because they're still menstruating, but virtually no progesterone. It leaves them kind of lopsided, so to speak, because that balance, that monthly balance they need, you know, from those hormone fluctuations is no longer there. And trust me, estrogen is the best hormone in the world. She's great, but without progesterone to buffer her, that Estrogen loves to grow things, so that's partly where a lot of that weight gain will come from, where the thickening of the endometrial lining of the uterus, so a lot of times women in their 40s, that's when they're getting the hysterectomies because their fibroids are growing, being aggravated, they're having heavy periods, they're having periods for three weeks long, they're becoming anemic, so that's where you see that, that's because estrogen is, like I said, a great hormone, but tends to grow things. One, One interesting kind of side note to that is when, you know, as a perimenopausal female, your estrogen is pretty good. It might drop a little bit in your 40s, you know, might, maybe a little bit. Um, there's a few percentage that I see where that estrogen really surges in perimenopause, but for the majority, estrogen drops maybe a tiny bit or stays the same. 
progesterone will drop dramatically. But if you look at the hormonal balance of a of a young female just going into puberty, starting to get her first couple of periods, you know, that first cup, when you see those gals, you know, you know, usually between, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, maybe 14, when they first gotten their periods, they have the same hormonal balance as a female in perimenopause because their, their ovaries are trying to make all this estrogen. They may not be ovulating because their body hasn't gotten used to what actually, you know, to actually cycling, you know, cycling. So it gets some time to understand how to cycle and get that cycling under their belt. So you've seen that same, um, imbalance with the higher estrogen or maybe, you know, good estrogen, but no progesterone, which is why they have some of the same symptoms, you know, a little bit of a muffin top and a little, you know, a little, maybe a little pudgy and then they grow out of that. Then the irritability, that's the other one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, That's probably, that would probably, uh, that would probably, uh, be right up there at the top with the weight gain. Weight gain and irritability would be number one and number two, depending on who you talk to. Uh, and then the insomnia would be, would be like third, you know, second or third on that list. Uh, so you're right. So mom is having the same hormonal profile as her daughter. No wonder why they don't. Everyone must run, run fast. The the men in the household are like cowering in the corner, right? Because, uh, no wonder why the, the, the mom and the teenage daughter uh, are clashing all the time because their hormones are, you know, it's just like, you know, butting heads constantly. Uh, and, you know, I mean, some of it is, you know, the, of course, the family dynamics and, you know, whatever, but certainly hormones are driving a lot of that behavior for, uh, on both sides. Which, you know, as a lot of females know, when we're around um, you know, other friends or females or family members that are women, we tend to cycle together. We just kind of fall in line like that. So yeah, then, then the, the fellas in the family need to run. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And men are very, you know, men, sometimes I hear some from, you know, from wives, right. They say, you need to go get your hormones fixed. You know, it's all about your hormones. Now, granted, that's a little bit unfair for men to be doing that. Truly, truly. Um, you know, men have their own hormonal fluctuations. Mm-hmm. They have their own issues. They can't just blame hormones on, on women. Um, that's very unfair. You know, that's, uh, you know, that's an easiest excuse, right? It's an easy thing to blame, but let's be honest, men sometimes can be lazy. They're like big children. They're teenagers. I know you yell at me all the time for all the things that I do. Uh, you know, and that's just the difference between, you know, males and females. You're not uh, a big baby. Uh, no, I'm not a big baby, <laughs> but I might be a kind of a pseudo big teenager sometimes, right? I might be a little messy, you know, you know, compared to your standards. You know, I think those kinds of things happen. You know, I hear about it. I know you hear about it all the time. Uh, and I think some women kind of get, they feel a little guilty about that, right? They think that it's really all about them. I think some of it might be, especially the irritability part, because one minute a woman will be totally fine. And then something very simple, you know, very, um, you know, for the most part, that is very innocuous innocuous, not a big deal at all. And then she's just in a fit of rage. Uh, and it, you know, it's like a flip of a switch and she can't really control that. At least that's what we hear. She can't really control it. She feels bad about it. She feels guilty. She's probably apologizing all the time. It becomes kind of like this thing uh, in the family or around uh, friends or even coworkers. They know to kind of tiptoe a little bit because, oh yeah, you know, so-and-so is a little you know, a little bitchy today, uh, you know, um, but that's, you know, there's hormonal reasons why some of those emotions can't be uh, curtailed or they can't be, you know, controlled necessarily. Exactly. And, and granted, you know, we all have ups and downs in life and our hormones are always changing. It's when it, 
So when I'm talking with a female, we'll talk a little bit about her symptoms and I'll say, well, how bad is it? Like, is it tolerable? Can, you know, if you get maybe one night sweat at night or if you wake up, you know, one night a week for a couple of hours, is that okay? Are you able to deal with that or with the mood? Are you able to deal with that? And they'll say, yeah, I'm fine. You know, that part's fine. I'm really more focused on the weight, you know, the weight gain that I didn't want to have. So it's really kind of, you know, looking at those goals. But if things in perimenopause, if the symptoms really are kind of like, you know what, this really is affecting my quality of life. I don't, you know, I don't enjoy this. I don't want to deal with this. I've had lots of women go to their primary care physicians, especially their gynecologists, and they don't really get a lot of answers, you know, and, um, they just get told, hey, you just got to deal with it or, you know, go see a therapist or put you on, like you said, birth control pills or IUDs or anti-anxiety medications or antidepressants. Oh my gosh, the list goes on. So they get frustrated, which is understandable. And then they just feel like they don't have any answers. And I want women to know that there are answers that, you know, we do have some things that we do, whether we do supplements, lifestyle, you know, nutritional changes, or even, you know, bioidentical hormone prescriptions. We have, you know, lots of options depending on the female that we're working with. Yeah, right. Yeah. And that's where, again, we say this all the time, it does have to be somewhat tailored because you could have 10 perimenopausal women and you have to address each one of them slightly different. Uh, Now, most of the time for most of them, again, uh, insomnia being a big one, um, that's something that we focus on first and foremost, because if you're not sleeping well, then everything else is going to just perpetuate because of the role that cortisol plays in in that insomnia. Uh, And everybody in America, to some extent, most, not everybody, I'm being a little bit facetious there, but so many people in America have this flipped uh, flipped curve, the flipped diurnal curve where their cortisol, as you said earlier, is supposed to be high in the morning and low at night. Uh, but that is almost exactly the opposite. They, it's not, it's low in the morning and it's high at night or it bounces around all night long. Uh, that needs to be kind of found a foundational step to, um, to work on that. And you can't take a sleeping medication, even something over the counter to really, uh, to really affect that. It has to be done a little bit of a different way that, you know, medications, except for what we use a lot is, progesterone, you know, bioidentical oral progesterone does a very good job for, you know, for these types of situations, calming them down, you know, leveling out the mood, uh, and then helping them get to sleep. Not to mention, like you say, the, uh, the variety of different, um, sleep or cortisol, you know, balancing, I wouldn't say reducing necessarily, I'd say cortisol balancing type of hormones. And that's kind of achieved in a couple of ways by raising cortisol in the morning. So they get out of bed with a little bit more energy and that automatically in some ways lowers it at night. There's some other things you can do, you know, kind of in the evening to help with that. Uh, and then now, you know, now other things can start to kind of branch off once their, once their sleep is, is improved. Oh yes. Many of you probably know waking up in the middle of the night from one 30 to three 30 is not fun. <laughs> That's just like, who wouldn't love to have an extra two hours during the day, let alone you're, you're wide awake in the middle of the night for two hours. So you're right. Definitely the sleep is number one, which kind of, kind of, you know, domino effects into everything, but other symptoms with perimenopause is not just the weight gain, this, you know, the insomnia at night, uh, you know, the irritability, but you do, we do also notice acne. Like a lot of women will come and say, I've never had a pimple, not even when I was in high school. And now I'm breaking out. That's also, you know, a common symptom because when the estrogen and progesterone drop, we still are making our androgens. We, us ladies make testosterone as well, not in the nearly the levels that men make it, but we make testosterone. 
a lot, you know, a little bit through the ovaries, mainly through the production of the adrenal glands, secreting DHEA, and then that can turn into testosterone. So that's, and DHEA is also another androgen. So when you go into perimenopause, when the progesterone drops, the estrogen might drop a little bit, that testosterone and DHEA don't necessarily drop in perimenopause. So they end up being kind of like the leaders of the hormonal chain gang or, you know, they're top of the hormonal pack. So then those excess androgens will cause breakouts, which as you can see in, you know, teenage girls, they kind of have the same thing too, because their bodies tr- isn't making enough progesterone, maybe some estrogen, and they're making, a, you know, a bunch of androgens because their bodies are just trying to figure out their own hormones. Yeah, right. We see, you know, we, now uh, it's interesting about DHEA and testosterone, which are both considered to be androgens, right? We see both scenarios. We see uh, almost a surge of testosterone and DHEA, almost like a pseudo PCOS. They, they never really had that problem before. And all of a sudden their DHEA and testosterone is either high normal or elevated. Or again, for the one that's really stressed out, that's been stressed out for a long time, their DHA and testosterone, like you'll see a testosterone of three, right? It'll be very, very low. Their DHA will be lower than their DHA sulfate will be less than a hundred. Uh, so you kind of see, you know, that's why we test for those hor- those two hormones specifically, uh, because you'll see both scenarios. And sometimes it's really hard to tell by their symptoms, which, which way their androgens are going. Are their androgens high uh, or are their androgens low? As you said, they're both made by the adrenals. So it's a way to infer kind of the, the adrenal status, but you get kind of mixed answers sometimes or mixed information by testing those hormones. You see it in, you know, in both scenarios and it's really hard to predict. Yeah. Like you had mentioned earlier, you have 10 different women in perimenopause. You got to almost in some ways treat them 10 different ways because some might have higher androgens. They might have low normal androgens. They might have really low androgens. They might, their estrogen could be high, could be moderate, but for the most part, the progesterone we all know is low. You know, that's one classic part of it. But depending on those 10 women, they could have, they might not have all of the symptoms. Somebody might have the weight gain, the irritability and the sleeplessness, and somebody else has the sleeplessness and the acne. You know, everyone is a little bit different, but it's interesting that you're talking about the adrenal glands because one unsung hero coming from the adrenal glands that we always talk about is pregnenolone. So pregnenolone or pregnenolone, tomato, tomato, you know, however you want to pronounce that, but I pronounce it pregnenolone, is it's it's secreted from the adrenal glands and that can actually drop dramatically. And I think it's more with the stress, like Dr. Mackey was talking about, the adrenal stress, the environmental stress causing that pregnenolone to drop because one other very common symptom in perimenopause is women will say, I feel like I'm so forgetful. Like I, my short-term memory is gone, but I can still remember exactly what I wore to a wedding in 1988, you know, and the sh- matching shoes and who I sat next to at a table, but I can't even remember where I parked my car or what I had for lunch yesterday. Yeah, right. I hear all the time they have lists everywhere. They have post-it notes all, the, all over their kitchen or their office or at work. Uh, they can't remember anything. If it doesn't get written down, it doesn't happen, right? Because they just can't remember anything. And they all think, of course, that that's like an early sign of dementia. Uh, you know, but the brain fog kind of goes with that. So they're just kind of in this haze all the time. Uh, and I definitely think that that's a, you know, kind of an adrenal cortisol kind of stress related issue for sure. With that drop in pregnenolone, because pregnenolone is in some, we also, we, you make it from the adrenal glands, but we make a little bit from our, our brain and our spinal cord, which makes it very neuroprotective. So that's a great thing about pregnenolone. And like I said, I consider it kind of like the unsung hero of the adrenal glands is it does help with memory. Like when you're, you know, 
23 years old, you have tons of pregnenolone, which is why you can, you know, stare out the window, sit in a meeting, not take notes and kind of not really, you know, look, you know, look around and, and still remember exactly what you heard. You know, it's like, you know, that pregnenolone, like your, you know, your kids and their teenagers, they remember everything. They have such beautiful, you know, memories and brains. But when that pregnenolone drops, it really is, you know, it's hard to remember. I read the same sentence like 20 times. I can't remember it. Or even something that people will say they're interested in. I, you know, I researched some stuff on Google and I'm really interested in this, but the next day I, I don't, I don't remember what I, what I read, even yeah. though it was really interesting. Yeah. Right. I, you know, talk to women too, that are, you know, they have to read, they have to read reports, they have to read certain things and they can't, they have to reread the, the same thing. Like they can't comprehend anything. They can't sit down to, re- you know, this is not all of them. This is some of them. They can't sit down to read a book. Uh, you know, it's like they, they read the words, but nothing sticks in their brain. Uh, you know, and you're right, you know, pregnenolone, you know, is very helpful in those situations for and sure. I, I think in perimenopause, it's the pregnenolone with the short-term memory. Cause just on the flip side, which we'll talk about later, I know, um, you know, I don't want to focus too much on this, but, um, in menopause, a lot of women will say that they can't remember that they're having dementia, but that's more about the estrogen dropping because we have a lot of receptors in our brain for estrogen. So when menopausal women are talking about their memory, it's really more about recall. Like what's the name of that author of that book you read the other, you know, last month, they'll say, I can't remember the name of the author, but if you come back to me in five to 15 minutes, I'll remember it. It's, it's in there. It's in there, but getting it out, that's more of a low estrogen issue that goes with menopause. Yeah. Or, uh, they see somebody's face, they recognize the face, but they can't think of their name or Until tomorrow yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. or certain words, uh, certain words are trying to pull out and they can't, you know, they can't think of the word to use. Um, yeah, those are, yeah, that's a little bit of a distinction yeah, between which, the perimenopause. Mm-hmm. I mean, granted, these are all subtleties, but if you're listening and you're either in menopause or perimenopause, uh, you, you know, you can probably relate to that to some extent. Uh, because we just hear this over and over and over and over all the time. Uh, so, you know, and that's partially why we're doing this podcast because, um, you know, we didn't necessarily set out, I know you didn't um, necessarily choose to, you know, focus on perimenopause. It's just kind of what, you know, the type of uh, client that would come in to see you and I, and that's, you know, that's become, it used to be, you know, bioidentical hormone replacement used to be all about menopause. Uh, menopause was the driver because women were looking for answers to their hot flashes and there wasn't really very, very many, you know, this is back when we, you and I were safe. Yeah. yeah. That we, when you and I are in school, really bioidentical hormone replacement really took off in about 2001 because of that women's health initiative study that came out and bioidentical hormones. So really it's only been around for literally not even 20 years, 19 years. Yeah, uh, really focused on and really, yeah, to, yeah. But it's good because now it gives women, you know, options you now, and we're still, women are still finding out and discovering about bioidentical hormones. But now, uh, at least the way that we do it, women of all different ages have, you know, there's something that can be done. It's not just for menopause and the new the new you know, kind of menopausal demographic. It's not menopause necessarily as much anymore. It's the women that we're talking about that are one underserved, but two, there's lots of options that can help them uh, maintain their lives. And, you know, in some ways, maybe have a better quality life, have more joy, more happiness, more energy, better sleep. You know, life is just better that way because you're not dealing with some of these hormonal challenges that are, unfortunately for women, are some are inevitable. They're, they're, they have to happen, you know, just hey, because of our- complicated, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we've got, we got a symphony of hormones, right? So when one instrument's off, you know, you can totally tell. So we are complicated, but we're definitely worth it. So- That's why, like you're saying, is that kind of underrepresented or, you know, underserved demographic of women in their 40s, I, you know, 
that's what we kind of found because a lot, you know, with our practice, uh, you know, a lot of our, you know, we're not, we don't do primary care. We don't do emergency care is a lot of people would find us after seeing, you know, three or four doctors and not finding the answers they're looking for. And then they would find us, you know, because they're looking in some ways like, Hey, a friend of mine told me about you and you're kind of like my last case resort. So, you know, that's kind of how things sort of matriculated for us. Yeah. We, we've just figured out, uh, you know, almost by accident, you know, we kind of, you know, and just from, you know, listening to people and understanding the situation that we found this little niche between the conventional part and what we do and being able to facilitate that. We're not a replacement for your gynecologist no or endocrinologist yeah. or cardiologist. We're not a replacement for that. We are just our own, in some ways, our own subspecialty that, you know, makes all of those things, at least the way we feel, the way that we try to do it, it's a way to connect all the dots, right? So you still have your cardiologist. We have patients that have, you know, their entire team of doctors. They have, you know, literally they have a, you know, they have a GI doc, they have a cardiologist, they have an endocrinologist, they have a gynecologist, and then we're in that team somewhere uh, and we all do our part, uh, you know, and then, you know, it's really for the betterment of the patient. You know, it's really about that at the end of the day. Uh, So, uh, we, uh, um, this is kind of a little bit, um, you know, pre-planned, right? We have, we're actually venturing into, you know, the Amazon, um, book publishing, uh, you know, arena. We're going to actually, we're in the process of getting a book finished. Uh, it's going to be an ebook on, you know, Amazon Kindle, uh, perimenopause plan or the perimenopause plan. Uh, we're just going through the finishing touches, uh, and it should be, you know, we're getting ready to launch that we don't have an official launch date yet, but it's coming fairly soon. Now I'm blushing and feeling a little bit embarrassed, but yes, we, we, um, you know, I'm that age perimenopause, uh, but we've been dealing with lots of women of perimenopause age for years and years and years. And really I, we, it is near and dear to our hearts. So that's why it's probably, you know, our, our first kind of venture into the Amazon, you know, Amazon book, but the perimenopause plan should be coming out soon. If you have any questions, please, or you have any questions about the book coming out or any questions about perimenopause, you know, I, I more than, you know, ask you, you know, feel free to send us an email at help, help at progressyourhealth.com. Yeah, yeah, just a simple email. We've had it on some of our blog posts. It's just a way to encourage some, uh, because we do like to answer. If you mm-hmm. if you notice, we do like to answer listener and reader questions. You know, it's, you know, so we get to hear uh, one in a leveraged way, right? So we can share that answer, the question and the answer, with as many people as possible. You know, so as many people benefit from that. Um, but we also kind of have a better understanding of what people are dealing with. Uh, you know, so yeah, yeah. Help at progressionhealth.com. Send us an email. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, we will kind of, as these episodes keep coming out and you know, whether we're talking about perimenopause or not, we'll, uh, and we have kind of a plan on and doing a few of those, uh, books that is, uh, we'll keep you updated on when they do launch. And, uh, you know, uh, it's a little scary, but also, you know, very, a very fun and exciting, you know, f- exciting project. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so I think we, uh, have, you know, kind of, uh, uh hashed this topic out pretty well. Uh, do you have anything, la- any last words to add? Uh, No, no, this was great. Okay, Uh, until next time, I'm Dr. Mackey. And I'm Dr. Davidson. Take care, bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Progress Your Health podcast. If you like what you've heard on this podcast, please give us a positive review on iTunes. This allows us to spread our message, grow our audience, and help more people around the world. For more information, visit our website at progressyourhealth.com.